Hello from the Office of Leadership and Civic Engagement, better known as OLSI, at UNC Greensboro, and thanks for joining us. OLSI prepares students to serve as changemakers. We develop, promote, and advance civic engagement, leadership development, and meaningful service to create positive social change. The purpose of this podcast is to engage the UNCG community by highlighting faculty, staff, students, community partners, and anyone else who embodies what it means to be a changemaker. If you want to learn more, you can follow us on social media at UNCG underscore OLSI or check out our website, olc.uncg.edu. Welcome, my name is Zach Bell. And I'm Jordan Farmer from the Office of Leadership and Civic Engagement. Today we'll be interviewing Dr. Jessica McCall, who is a Senior Lecturer for Communication Studies here at UNCG. Also joining us is Ash Doherty, Senior Communication Study Major. Could each of you tell us a little bit more about yourselves Sure. So my name is Jessica McCall. I am a professional track faculty here at UNCG. I have actually been here now for 18 years. I came uh, to work on my master's and continued to work on my PhD, and then I stayed. And so um, I love my job. I love uh, working with students. I love focusing on mentoring and really appreciate all of the people here in the UNCG community. Awesome. Hi, my name is Ash. Uh, I am a senior uh, undergraduate student here at UNCG studying communication studies. I am a transfer student. I transferred from a small liberal arts college two years ago, right in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, in finding my major here at UNCG, I have learned so much about how I enjoy communicating with the communities and how I can just have a uh, good understanding of why we communicate the way we do. Okay. I'm interested. Uh, where did you uh, transfer from? I transferred from Simpson College. So it's very small uh, in a town called Indianola, Iowa. Okay. Iowa? Iowa, Okay. Yeah. Uh, very cool. Yeah, that's not something you hear often in North Carolina, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I appreciate you all introducing yourself and giving us a little bit more background. Um, now I'm going to ask just a few general introduction questions. Um, first question, what identities do you hold that you feel have shaped your leadership journey to this point? Ooh, that's a good question. I know, that's right? A good question. <laughs> um, I'll take a stab at it. So I feel like my identity as an educator has played a tremendous role, um, obviously, in, my, in shaping my leadership journey. Uh, but that started a long time ago. So my mom was a preschool director. So I was always hanging around school, uh, putting up bulletin boards, and, and just generally thinking about education. And I actually started out my bachelor's degree thinking I wanted to be in childhood development major, meaning I would teach uh, kindergarten, and then quickly discovered that I needed to work with people who were a little bit older and could think a little more critically. (laughs) (laughs) So um, educators always been a big part of my leadership journey. Uh, I also now recognize that as a mother, that is certainly a big identity um, in my leadership journey because it has helped me to see uh, differences in people, but often also differences in style. Um, as I continue to lead different types of people. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to kind of get zero into that before yeah. we get into to, to yours, Ash. Yeah. But how many children do you have? Only two. <laughs> Only two? As if that's like, like a small feat, right? Uh, very active, uh, very challenging, but fun boys. So okay. they are um, almost 11 and almost 8. Okay, yeah. thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Wow, I didn't realize how similar me and Dr. McCall were. Um, so I think a, a very large identity that has shaped me is being a student. Um, my mother also was a preschool director. She's now just transitioned into elementary education. Y'all practiced this, didn't you? No, <laughs> no, we did not. And, and the irony is that when I started out my bachelor's, I started off in elementary education and then transitioned into thinking I could do middle school. But after transferring here, I realized I don't know if that's the passion I had. So, um, and you know, really diving into my focus and finding that I did have passion for learning and being a student, I was able to really kind of dissect the things that I was learning and the fun things that were a part of the classroom and how, you know, being a student isn't, you know, as bad as it can sound sometimes. It only takes a few years to figure that out. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was a very large um, part of my journey because I, I used to be one of those students, you know, sadly, who didn't pay attention too well in middle school and high school. And I think a large portion of that was because I just didn't fully understand, like, why I was learning mm. such large concepts. But in journeying into college, I found that, like, once you find what you are kind of passionate about, it is very, very, like, you know, amazing to hold that um, high and have it as, like, a, I enjoy what I'm doing let me show you about this. Like, mm -hmm. I, I won't stop talking about some of the things I've learned in Dr. McCall's classes to people, and they're like, that's the hill you'll die on. <laughs> 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 I, won't, I won't even lie about that. Everybody knows me about that. <laughs> I got you. Well, you, you mentioned something. You, you talked about passion areas, right? Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question that kind of correlates to passions, right? <laughs> um, so what are some of the, your top values, um, and where do you see these values showing up in your leadership? Yeah, so I have several top values. And whenever I did an activity like this in class, it was very difficult for me to wean down to even like a top five because I hold so many things with such importance. And I think it varies from day to day. But one guaranteed that never changes is trust and respect. Those two go hand in hand. And I think it's a large portion for a leader to have trust and respect for those you're working with because as an individual outside of the workplace, outside of your leadership role, it's important to kind of hold that you need to have respect for yourself and trust yourself when you're not always up to par and that if somebody else is going through something outside of that situation, you know, you could be leading them in a school project, you could be leading them in a workplace, that they, they might be leaving something really difficult at the door, and you need to have trust that whether or not they could be falling behind on something, and they might just need a little extra motivation that regardless if there was a situation, they would come to you or that they would trust you if you were in the same situation. So kind of not letting like the bond you would have falter. Mm -hmm. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. What about you, Dr. McCall? I mean, what values do you have that you, you know, keep close to you. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate Ash sharing the, the trust and respect because I do value those greatly. If I really look at sort of my top values, I think I would probably have to say authenticity, um, critical thinking, and this generally diligence and perseverance. So a uh, couple of things for me, I feel like it is 
it is of utmost importance for people to always be themselves, to recognize who they are, and then to be themselves, be honest and upfront um, about their feelings and about their desires, and then also about sort of what motivates them um, and where they, they want to go. Uh, secondly, critical thinking. So this is um, sort of what I often hang my hat on, I guess, is I really want people to think uh, differently and not that I want them to think a particular thing, but I want everyone to be able to stop and think and to question uh, ideas that they see or that they hear, but then also to continuously use this process to grow as a person and to also think through ways that we can enhance our society and our community. Um, and then last but not least, uh, really just being able to work hard. Uh, and that doesn't mean working all the time. That certainly doesn't mean um, putting yourself in, in difficult situations that would be particularly harmful for you. But it does mean trying your best. Um, and there are going to be times where we fail, and that is all part of the process. Um, so working hard to embrace those times and to pick yourself up and to analyze and reflect and continue to move forward. So I'd say for me, sort of those, those top uh, characteristics are particularly important um, personally, but then I really appreciate helping other people to uh, develop those characteristics as they continue on their leadership journey. I appreciate that, Dr. McCall. Yeah, and it sounds like a, kind of an overarching theme is just how important growth is and I guess like the ingredients that it takes to do that. Um, <clears throat> next up, what motivates you and then what are some of the things that you feel passionate about? And these can be hobbies, things you like to do for fun, anything like that. So uh, tell us more about what motivates you and what your passions are. Sure, I'll go first. So um, I am motivated by problems. <laughs> <laughs> so just that idea of um, jumping into something and solving it, I think is really exciting for me. But I'm also motivated by other people's energy. So I've noticed that, especially over the last two years, I need to surround myself with people who um, are positive and who also are willing to sort of um, really push for the energy and the engagement uh, that keeps me going too, that keeps all of us going. And obviously that's not always going to be present, but just finding those moments are, are particularly powerful. I also think that I am passionate about um, making things happen. And I think that goes along with the problem solving. So whether that be um, hitting our objectives or um, helping people see things in a different way or um, helping my kids build a, a treehouse, um, whatever it is, just making it happen um, gets re me really excited and I'm pretty passionate about that. So, Cool. Awesome. I would say that... Um, on like a personal level, like what motivates me is often like those around me. So I'm uh, often motivated like by my family and by my friends uh, and just the fact that like I am reaching like such great goals that I didn't realize I had for myself and I didn't think about how that used to motivate me because a lot of us, especially like when we start our college journey, it's, oh, we're getting a degree, yeah, but that finish line and while that finish line is super motivating, I'm also over here about to graduate, and I'm like, I feel like I have so much more to learn, which mm -hmm. I think ties straight into, like, my passions. I am so passionate about learning. I love learning new things, and I love just being able to share that information because I, I truly want to help people. So, like, being able to go out there and just be like, you know, you're, you're coming to me for advice, and I, I want to be able to help you, so I'm going to do whatever I can. So if that's, like, 
I don't know how to help you. Here, help me. Let me help you find some sources that might be able mm-hmm. to. Like, I, I just really have a lot of passion for other people, which um, might might be a problem. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I just really like like being out there, and I am motivated by the fact that you know I have friends that are like, you know, you are just a resourceful person, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate being kind of like the encyclopedia uh, encyclopedia person. It's kind of nice being the person somebody can go to, but at the same time, it's like I acknowledge like there are the people I go to, and I think there's like that mutual um, respect and understanding mm. of like I want to learn, you want to learn. Let's just mega dump some information, and I think that that's kind of like a passion. I I mean like I watch Jeopardy with my dad, and my dad like my dad watching Jeopardy is not a weird thing, but my roommate she definitely is like you watch Jeopardy, <laughs> and I'm just like it's fun. You never would think about like. <laughs> how many toes an elephant has or something like that. And I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of with your roommate on this one. Like, you know, when I watch Jeopardy, I do not have fun. It's like anxiety. Like, I do not know this. Oh, my gosh. Um, but I appreciate you both sharing those examples with us. Um, yeah, so, yeah I, love, I love Jeopardy. And then uh, it's also interesting, too, seeing how, like, a lot of your values also uh, contribute to what motivates you in your upbringing. But um, now that we've got to learn a little bit more about who you all, who y'all are, um, now we're going to dive into some questions about emotional intelligence. Yes, emotional intelligence. So uh, a definition of emotional intelligence for, for people who may not know what it is, but emotional intelligence is the ability to understand and manage your own emotions, as well as recognize and influence the emotions of those around you. Um, you know, in bronze, which is what, you know, bronze leadership challenge is what I really work with. We, we, we do workshops um, they really discuss the attributes of emotionally intelligent leaders. Um, and these attributes are, you know, self-awareness, self-management. You know, are you being able to control your emotions? Because, you know, good leaders need to be able to stay cool and calm, right? Um, and then, you know, we talk about the empathy and compassion, relationship management, and effective communication. Um, so, you know, with all of these different things, can you touch on maybe a few of these pointers that you've seen in some of your work or, you know, experiences? Yeah, I can go ahead and go first. Um, I actually uh, taught a presentation slash workshop just this last Friday at Link over emotional intelligence and mindfulness. And I think that emotional intelligence is such an umbrella term for so many things in our everyday life. And that, like, you know most of these attributes are very much in a crossover way, but that two specifically that are like very fundamental um, to me in the way that I observe is self-awareness, self-management and empathy and compassion. Those three overall are like very much like one big like beach ball of compatibility with human existence. So without being able to be empathetic or um, being aware of yourself and being able to control the way that you react, um, it can be a little more difficult to develop your relationships and so on and so forth. And I think it's really important that we're able to, you know, consider um, the the finite things before we can broaden up those, those terms and view from the widened lens. Because if we aren't able to regulate and consider our own self-views and how we treat ourselves, it's difficult to communicate with others and consider how they feel about things. Okay. Okay. So heavy on that self-awareness, right? That self-reflection yeah. piece. Yeah. Okay. And I would have to agree with Ash in many ways. You know, self-awareness and then self-management 
are both so important for uh, interacting with other people and uh, utilizing that emotional intelligence, but then ultimately becoming a strong and effective leader. Um, I did want to kind of flip the script on this one a little bit because I don't feel like I could um, pick out a quality that is the most important. And that is because I feel like there is one quality on here that um, is what conveys all of the other qualities, and that's effective communication. And so I feel like, you know, in, if we are not able to effectively communicate, we can't um, recognize or, or showcase our self-awareness. We certainly can't um, effectively um, show that we're able to manage ourselves or manage others. Uh, it's very difficult to showcase empathy and compassion without effective communication. And then obviously relational management, effective communication is a key uh, part of that. So for me, um, I don't really like to prioritize one over the other because I think they're all so very important. I do think that effective communication, and maybe I'm a little biased because I do teach communication and faculty member uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> but I do think that that is going to be um, one of those components that we cannot do without uh, and something that we are all continuously working to improve. Yes, I noticed the uh, self-awareness as you're advocating for the effective communication. Um, can you tell us about a time where you have seen effective or ineffective emotional intelligence in practice? Sure. Well, one uh, very recent example of this is I have seen emotional intelligence used throughout the university during the pandemic over the last two years. Um, it has always been apparent to me that without the ability to understand the students, then instructors are not going to be able to adjust and adapt accordingly. Um, and we saw examples of that, obviously. Um, everyone was, tr was trying to transition. We weren't sure how, what uh, parts of the curriculum to change, if any, or how to restructure assignments. And it, we just kept coming back to where are people, right? How can you read people? How can you understand people? How can we motivate people? And that's all wrapped up in emotional intelligence. So for me, that was a really key example of how um, we see emotional intelligence um, even in our, in our current society, in our classrooms, but in all social um, circumstances. Yeah, I think that's a great point you brought up, too, just to interrupt a little bit. But, like, a lot of the stuff, like, we saw as students was, like, campus climate surveys, like, trying to understand where we were. Um, and I feel like, to me, anyway, like, that was a huge part of that, like, you talked about effective communication, like, understanding, being empathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm right with you, when, you know, when looking at this pandemic and, and seeing like these examples of uh, emotional intelligence. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting, I think, to look at it from an, at an educational from an educational standpoint, but then also um, on a broader um, spectrum, just mm -hmm. thinking about how the world has really focused on how people are feeling, um, what they are managing on a daily basis and how that has really impacted their decisions and their actions every day. Yeah, and that also makes me think about, you know, with our professors, too. They've taken the time here and there to even just, like, really stop class and check in where we're at and um, just that's you know, emotional intelligence. And at the end of the day, if you can't see where students are on a basic human fundamental level, I mean, you're really not going to be able to teach them anyways. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's like that hierarchy of needs we've all probably heard about at some point. So you got to kind of address that before you can really try and teach somebody um, the stuff that's on the syllabus and all that fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, I would des- I would definitely agree with that, um, especially not necessarily post-pandemic because I wouldn't say we're fully out of this yet, but we're in that post-ish mm-hmm. stage. But, um, you know, having been in college prior to, you know, the world shutting down and everything going virtual, I definitely see the, the difference in, you know, from the student standpoint of, like, I did have professors who used to ask, hey, how are you doing? They wanted to know you on a personal level. And then there were the few that were just like, I'm here, you're here, you pay me to teach you. You're, I'm going to teach you. That's what I'm here for. You want to talk to me, you come to my office hours. Whereas, like, now there's there's the mutual. Like, we've all been through a really difficult time together. We don't know how everyone was impacted by a global pandemic and you know, everybody experienced different things. Everybody came from different places. Some people started college mid-pandemic. Some were thrown out their freshman, sophomore year, or didn't get to graduate even. And so um, I think that being able to be on the other side of it and actually see, you know, profession- professors that are like, okay, yeah, I really care about you. It really does mean a lot to be like, how are we doing today? Like even the simplest just hi, how are you, in the smallest passing, or just even, like, the minute acknowledgement, whereas, like, before we wouldn't really consider it because that that was just a small detail of a a normal face-to-face interaction we we weren't really, like, grasping for, whereas, like, Zoom really made it where it was difficult to get that, like, compassion and Mm -hmm. the empathy from the other person, whereas... It often seems from a medium that it's very sympathetic, where it's like you could be asking a friend, like, how are you? But your response might be more mild and like, I'm fine, even if you're not. And right. so having, having been on the other side, it's just like, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to have that acknowledgement because it, 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 the development of that was, I, I don't think it was like longstanding needed to be here. I think it was just, we all just needed to kind of be reminded that, mm-hmm. We are all people and we all went through something really difficult and it was a really challenging time. So we we we're all a little more understanding of each other now in some facet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had one more example I wanted to kind of talk through. And um, from some of my experiences um, with the Center for Creative Leadership and then also through some of my other engagements in society, I've had the opportunity to really see how different organizations, regardless of whether they are corporate or nonprofit or somewhere in between, uh, a lot of the struggles that they have seem to uh, be due to either a lack of uh, emotional intelligence or uh, may not be a lack of emotional intelligence, but just the fact that we have not had the opportunity to sit down with someone and really ask about their values, ask about their interests, or ask about their sort of personal why. So I think that's really interesting to recognize that, you know, once you do that, once you understand a person and where they're coming from, um, they are going to be likely to be more motivated. Uh, they're likely going to be um, more doors that open up for um, the, for you as a leader to uh, really engage that person and to really work with that person in different ways. And all of this ultimately usually enhances productivity and commitment and motivation. And so I think it's just really important to recognize that, you know, in our daily lives, like we've said, we don't always take the time to recognize the value of emotional intelligence because we're so focused on the product. And so taking a step back and recognizing who an individual really is and what what is going to make them um, excited and passionate is really going to be worthwhile. Yeah, and I tell people all the time, 
that at the end of the day, you're personal health, mental well-being and all that's way more important than whatever your job is. And, um, you know, you really, for yourself, got to put yourself first, but also like when you're working with others, like putting them as a human first, because at the end of the day, that's way more important than, um, you know, what your job is. Yeah, uh, I think that is exactly um, the point right there. Um, going a little forward, and you hit on this just now. I appreciate you kind of yeah. segueing us into this next one. But you you mentioned that you know emotional intelligence can create this bond, right? Can create more motivated teams. You know, my question to you, um, and you as well, Ash. Um, but how does it do that? That's a great question. I think I might actually uh, turn this over to Ash first. Yeah. She was a student in my small group and team communication class last semester. And so I know she has some firsthand experience with this. Um, and then maybe I'll follow up. Yeah. So uh, especially tying into small group and team communication, you know, there's there was a very minute mention of emotional intelligence within the course. And it was I think roughly after um, like halfway through our first group session. So we had touched on it. It was kind of like, be aware of this. But it, it kind of helped us think about if we were in charge of a team, like how, how would we motivate them? Obviously, when you think about it from like outside perspective, um, if you're thinking about a group and how you want to motivate them, like say your family or your workspace, you want to actually consider like, what what would I want to be do, like have to do to be motivated? Like what what's right. gonna incentivize me to actively do something? So um, when considering it from multiple perspectives, it was like, well, obviously, just saying we're gonna throw a pizza party isn't gonna be like the most motivating. Of course, like that's something that teachers use all the time with their classrooms. But it's like you got to use that reward within X amount of time or it's not going to mean as much. And so in considering emotional intelligence, you you really got to put yourself into it. So along with that self-awareness, like you want to be aware of your own emotions and how like the work that you are doing, whether it be in school or it actually be out there in the workforce or wherever you are taking this, it's kind of you, you want to be aware of yourself and how you feel and how it could potentially affect others around you. But you really, as like a leader in that position to create a more motivated team, have to have that communication. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think where, where Dr. McCall mentions effective communication. You really do have to have that effective communication and all of these encompassing pieces in some balance to, um, you know, have that motivation. So mm -hmm. you got to be able to communicate with all your members um, you have to, you, you kind of just have to know the bare minimum about them. So mm -hmm. you're going to want to know at least the names and some minute details of those around you. And I think that's a little bit of the things that it's a little unsaid. Right. And so we don't always think about like, oh, I know Dr. McCall. I know her name and I know how, that she has two sons and stuff like that. Whereas like, that's not something that you're always asking, but it, it is a knowledgeable aspect that can impact the way you communicate with the mm -hmm. team. So it's like if somebody was coming to me about a difficulty that they were having, they were asking for advice, uh, they, I would treat them with the same respect and I would give them the same openness that I would give everyone else. So you kind of have to have um, an equal, like an equity and equality situation mm -hmm. there. And so um, in tying all of the encompassed 
parts of emotional intelligence, you want to be able to kind of flourish. You, you want to be mm-hmm. able to push people to do what they like to do and what they want to do best, and in part, doing what you mm-hmm. want to do best. So if there's a goal for everyone, like there is typically within small groups and teams, it's how can we all work together to meet this goal, not, okay, it's my sole job to get us here, but it's an all-encompassing situation. So it's considering like how your effective communication wraps around all of this. So you've got to be aware of yourself and others in total and kind of sit down in a grouped situation and be like, how can we do this? So, you know, brainstorm. Brainstorming is a very, very effective thing that teams do, and it, it can really, re- really be beneficial. Yeah, it's like promoting synergy, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great that you brought that word up um, because we hear, you know, we hear the word synergy, we hear cohesion kind of thrown around a lot, and um, it, it really doesn't get the credit it deserves in the sense mm-hmm. that we need to really dig deep and understand the value of that. If you step back and think about the role or the purpose of working in a group, it's really to um, meet the end goal, right, of the group, but to also work together to do that effectively and to create something in the end that is bigger and more meaningful than what you could do on your own. And we can't get to that point without connection, uh, human connection. And again, this is where we often focus so much on productivity um, and whether we've, um, you know, we've earned an A plus or whether we have uh, created a billion dollar industry, uh, that's important. And yet the process that we go through to get to that point is equally important. So oftentimes you really recognize that it's going to be critical for us to um, focus on the emotional elements that people have going on. I think that's my phone. (laughs) Yeah, that definitely was your phone, and that was definitely a, a, a jammy, groovy tune there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of phones, uh, let's talk about some uh, contemporary issues real quick. So as we become increasingly involved with others through social media, how have you seen emotional intelligence be affected? Do you think it's been a positive or negative change, or perhaps both? Why do you think so? That's a tough question. Um, you know, as someone who... Um, adapted, I would say adapted to technology as I grew older. Um, You know, there's a lot of value in technology. We know that. Um, And specifically thinking about social media, um, it does allow us to learn about people and to share aspects of ourselves that we would not normally. However, um, I do feel like it is quite disconnected in the sense that most of our interactions on social media are not transactional. They um, are opportunities for us to post something and then for someone to respond. And so it's not an immediate connection. Uh, And in those moments, we really seem to sort of regulate what it is we're going to post. We um, think and rethink. We tweet and we erase. So, you know, we, we go through this process of really trying to Um, navigate, but also control all of the emotions that are going on inside. So I find it very difficult to have authentic um, emotional interactions in the social media space. I don't know, Ash, you're younger than I am. What do you think? So I, I, in many ways, do agree. uh, As somebody who was raised on technology, you know, getting an iPad and an iPod when I was young, having those in middle school and Finally, by like ninth grade, having my first iPhone and kind of ended up being stuck in a cycle of like dependency now, it, you know, it, it is very difficult because 
we as social beings are so much more than our small transactions on social media. And I, I 100% agree that social media is transactional. It is one way and potentially two way, depending on like if comments are conversational and if it's more than just the, oh my gosh, you are in town, we should see each other kind mm-hmm. of thing. But um, I think a large dissonance here is the fact like we as social beings want more. Mm-hmm. We we are p- posting things out there because we want people to see. So it's kind of like the, well, obviously there's this part of my life that not everybody sees. Like not everybody's seen my dog, so I'm going to post my right. dog mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's cool. That's cute. I'm going to like it. And that's just simply where it ends. And there's part of that dissonance where I believe it becomes a negative change more on the instance that we are not always aware of the things we are posting and how they can impact us later or how the things we are posting can impact another individual. Mm -hmm. So our minds are very shapeable, especially from a young age, and young children have access to social media I didn't even have access to. I mean, I remember what the original Instagram looks like, and I know that some people, like, you you tell a 12-year-old now, they would laugh at how it looks because MySpace isn't even a concept to them. But I was never on that. And I used to think that that was when millennials would talk about MySpace, that it was kind of like, oh, you used MySpace? I have Instagram. I'm giving you the stink eye over here, by the way. I I hope you know know, that, right? (laughs) But personally, from, like, where I am, it's like, I would have loved to be on MySpace because I, like, the music I listen to and you know, the cultures I identify with often lean with the more millennial aspects. I am way too old for my actual age is what my my friends and family always say. But like, we, we often put things out there and we're not always thinking about how it, it can affect somebody else. So if you talk about like hate comments or it, like bullying, like cyberbullying became such a big deal all those years ago. And I feel like a large Part of the difficulty with that came from the emotional intelligence aspect that people weren't considering somebody on the other phone as a human and as a person, as we've mentioned here. And, you know, as time has gone on, it's like, okay, obviously that's another person. But with the increase in, like, advertisements and stuff, it's like, well, now we're aiming things to potentially harm. And I think it's – we really – or have been negatively, like, affected in the fact, like, we could, we have potential to be more, like, positive about these things. We could be like, hey, look at you. Look at that dress. That's awesome. It looks good on you. And we can hold our opinions to ourselves. Like, why, like, the internet is an empty void of opinions. Like, why are we sharing some of these things? Because they can be really detrimental to other people. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I kind of want to, like, pick up on one thing you said. But you, you talked about, you know, human nature, us wanting more, right? And I think sometimes with social media, we make up more. We don't get the whole picture. You know, we get these moments in time, and like you talked about, we have drafts and different things, we delete things. Well, we get these pictures in time, these time stamps. And I think people run with those because we don't have that. And instead of being able to make those relationships like you would do in person, um, we cut ourselves off. You're like, okay, well, I don't agree with that person's views, so therefore I don't have to listen to anything else they say anymore. I'm going to hit this block button or this unfollow button, which is okay. But in real life, you can't just 
do that. Right. So I think that's where it kind of gets a little like that dissonance gets yeah. in. Yeah. And Jordan, I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, again, it's just a snapshot. It, it's mm-hmm. one moment when you're talking about social media. And we don't know if that person has just has tweeted that and then was so overcome with emotion that they um, were they were crying after that. But we have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe they posted something they were so overcome with emotion that they were, you know, they were running around and they were dancing, which is an, is an important part of emotional intelligence that we don't get to see in, mm-hmm. on social media. Right. We don't mm-hmm. see sort of how the release of information affects people. We don't see, you know, why they have posted or their reaction to posting. Uh, and posting, I know we're using that generally, but posting or, or um, Snapchatting or whatnot, uh, I need to go back and get my lingo straight, but um, <laughs> it, it is... You're pretty on par. Yeah, it, it is all just like we said. It's one quick um, snapshot, um, and it can be very strategic or it may not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think just being in the moment where you actually know a person and get to know them better is going to be um, a more authentic means of emotional intelligence. All right, and that's something I look forward to um, as we kind of, like you talked about, come to this endemic phase of this pandemic where, like, we're getting back to normal. It's like, it's really good to, like, come into these spaces that were once, like, vacant or, like, you know, didn't have a lot of people on campus and to, like, go into the library or go into, you know, the dining hall and see people, see mm-hmm. conversations happening again. Um, because I do think, like you said, that's the missing link when it comes to being emotional intelligent. Like having these conversations, seeing the emotions on people's faces when you say things. Like, yeah, you need to know if you're like if you're rubbing somebody the wrong way or you're offending them. Or you also need to know too, like when hey, like what you're saying is really vibing with mm-hmm. what, what they're thinking. So I do appreciate both of your your inputs on this. And today's been fun for me. Um, but this isn't the last fun thing we're going to do. I have one question that I want to leave you with. Um, and it's, you know, like I said, it's going to be a fun time. So this question, what fictional, uh, excuse me, fictional, I can't talk to that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Zach, say it. All right. Fictional character. <laughs> uh, would you pick to represent, uh, your emotional intelligence? It can be any type of character, TV shows, any type of characters, as long as you explain what it is. All right, I think I have one. So um, this also relates back to my family, but we're big uh, fans of Sing and Sing 2. And actually, it was my youngest uh, son's first movie in the movie theater. Um, I've always really identified with Rosita, the mom pig in the movie. (laughs) And uh, what I recognized is that... um, she is a strategist, right? Like me, she is able to take a problem and figure out how to fix it. So one of the scenes in the movie, um, you see that she has no one to watch her kids or take care of her husband, but she really wants to go to the auditions. So um, she creates, she builds, stays up all night, builds a system that feeds all of the kids, gets them ready for school, gets them out the door, welcomes them home, takes care of her husband, and nobody even knows that she wasn't there, right? But I say all that to say she's not only a strategist, but throughout the movie, she continuously focuses on people's emotions. She's the one who is checking on people when they're having a hard time, when they're not not performing at their best. Um, And even the, the strategies that she uses, the way she comes up with those is by knowing the relationships and the people um, with whom she is in the relationships with, right? So it's just so key for us to recognize and know people, and that's going to help us to build the bigger picture and make better decisions um, and ultimately accomplish um, what we need to move the world forward. 
Okay, now I'm going to have to find scene one and scene two. I I got it. They're pretty great. (laughs) They they are great movies. I actually do really like those. I'm a sucker for a good kids movie because the underlying message in all of those are always like so much more powerful than I think a kid could ever understand. But I would have to go with this is really difficult for me. I'm not like a one fictional character kind of person. but the the one that really is like kind of stuck in my mind at the current moment is Tony Stark from the Avengers. But this is like post after he figures out like all of the crappy things that have been going on at Stark Industries under the influence of the one bad dude right. in Iron Man One. Um, <laughs> but it's more so like he he's an innovator. He really has a passion for things, and you know while he is seen as like a man in the suit. Like he does break it down of like I'm a ge- I'm a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Like he he really does care about a lot of things. And like <laughs> while he might as a character be an egotistical person, and I don't identify with that because I I, I do not pay attention to myself in any regard some <laughs> days. But more so like I I do think that other people matter and that what I do matters. And I think like working to create something that is not only good for me in, like, in the long run, like how Tony Stark created, like, 48 different versions of the same suit to get it right, the f- like, instead of doing it right the first time because first time isn't always going to happen. Mm-hmm. And things have trial and error, and that's a big standpoint of life. Like, the things you do aren't always going to work out the first time. But there is the reality of, like, there are things you say that you can't take back, yes. much like tying back to the social media thing. You can put something out there that doesn't mean it goes away ever. And so I just think that his uh, like effective communication and his empathy towards what he does matters because he mm-hmm. does what he does as a superhero to, you know, to help people. He's not doing it to cascade as the famous Iron Man. He's doing it because he has a passion for others. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really dope, and I think you just blew my mind with the fact that you just brought like Tony Stark into this emotional intelligence conversation, yeah, right? But again, I really appreciate those examples, and I think you know one last thing I would like to touch on before we leave here, and you just said it. Emotional intelligence is not something that you're going to get right um, all the time. Um, it's something that is a lifelong journey, um, much like leadership in, in many respects, Absolutely. right? Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, I, I, I kind of want to leave our audience with knowing that, like, hey, you can start out and not have any emotional intelligence, but learn, gain the knowledge through experiences. Ask questions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and really become a, a, a great emotional intelligent leader who, again, connects teams and gets things done. So I appreciate you today. Thank you yeah. for having us. Thank you. No problem. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud so that you do not miss any future episodes. Have anyone you think embodies the spirit of a changemaker and would be a great guest? Send an email to lead at uncg.edu. Also, visit olsi.uncg.edu and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at uncg underscore Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tell a friend.